Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Where are you at creatively at the moment? What's kind of the project at the center of your life right now? Do you have one? The, the short answer is no. I do not have one. I've been taking a very long mental break. Pretty pretty much the last thing that we did was the EPs for Car Seat. And we got together in our practice studio and just recorded those very quickly, just as a sort of for fun anniversary thing. Was that the Influences EP? The Influences, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like, I haven't been working on you know any games or anything. I've, of course, like I still make music at my house you know, just for fun, but I don't have any like project in mind. I'm just kind of messing around with beats. I upgraded my new PC to to have the CPU be able to handle more Ableton CPU suckage. So um, I'm probably going to start streaming sessions again soon, but I've sort of just been relaxing and enjoying the, the summer, the weather. Um, I'm sort of working on like a personal project where I've started learning how to code in Python a little bit. And so I've been writing a web scraping script that scrapes events off of Seattle event websites. And I'm sort of creating like a, like an event aggregator. So I could make a website that just has every event in Seattle on it instead of having to go to a bunch of different websites. But that's sort of just a, a personal project thing um, that's happening right now. But besides that, not not much. Just hanging out, playing a lot of pickleball. That's for sure. Pickleball? What's pickleball? Oh, you never heard of pickleball? No. Um, thing has crossed the pond yet. Yeah, pickleball. It actually started on Bainbridge Island, which is an island just outside of Seattle. And it is... I guess an in-between between ping pong, like table tennis and regular tennis. And so you play on a smaller court than a tennis court. It's a lot more constricted and you play with like wooden paddles or plastic paddles and you hit like wiffle balls instead of <laughs> tennis balls. And there's a, there's a bunch of weird, funny little rules 
and it's like very low impact on the body because the court's so small you don't have to run as much but it's a very technical game like it's like a lot of technical skills and so a lot of old people play it actually it's very big in the retired community but it's starting to like make its way into the youthful communities and so there's like a ton of people that are starting to play it now and i'm i'm one of the people that's caught the bug and i absolutely love it i've i've been playing like at least once a week but typically much more than that for the last couple months and i've just been having a blast how long is a game who are you playing with well you play two versus two which is how the game's originally supposed to be played you can't play one versus one but it's uh, a game to 11 points but how the scoring works is you can't it's kind of like volleyball where you can't score a point unless it's your serve so even though it's 11 points the games last a long time because a lot of faults are made but points aren't exchanged because it's not necessarily your serve and yeah i've been playing with just my buddies here in seattle but like i've been traveling and visiting family and friends like you know back in oregon and i like travel with a paddle and pickleballs in my car and have just been playing with people all up and down the coast visiting them because like everybody's starting to catch on to, to pickleball it's it's been an absolute blast when did this start up? Is this quite like a recent trend that's kind of sweeping the country then? Uh, I mean, pickleball has definitely been around, but I mean, it's it's just sort of been like old people that play it. But I think recently in the last like, I don't know, five years, it started to pick up a bit. And at least for me, it seems like very recently it's become more mainstream. But maybe that's just because I'm just finding out about it. But like a lot of people are playing. It's It's starting to really catch on. I'm surprised there weren't more trends like that over COVID, you know, when the pandemic was kind of right at the start, you th- would think there would have been a few things kind of sweeping about that were crazy. Well, yeah, I bet pickleball definitely got a boost from that. Yeah, because it's like, well, what can we do? We got to go outside. I guess we'll play pickleball, you know? Pickleball and Bitcoin. Those were the two things that got a boost from COVID. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> You've got a few Elon Musk uh, references on this record. He's a bitcoin advocate isn't he he is actually not a bitcoin advocate is he, he a dogecoin guy yeah well he's he just he likes to stir up the pot he's an advocate for cryptocurrency but he has always been very critical of bitcoin because of how slow transactions are and transaction fees and things like that and so he kind of hopped on this doge train and was sort of speaking out of line and speaking incorrectly and saying stuff like oh yeah, Doge is going to be way faster and way cheaper than Bitcoin because they're just going to up their block size by a hundred times and it's going to be a hundred times faster than Bitcoin. It's like, he just clearly didn't, he either didn't know how the technology works or he just was trying to stir up the pot. Either way, he stirred up the pot successfully. Um, or it was a pot and dump scheme. Yeah, it could have been into too. It, then he stirs it up and then he sells his shares when they're... I mean, how much did that right. go this year? Like 900% or something? Yeah, a lot. And it's hard to say because, I mean, Tesla bought a bunch of Bitcoin shares, but they have slowly sold it off, I think. And they made a ton of money on it. So, like, he's definitely not anti-Bitcoin, but he's definitely not a proponent either because I've heard him say a lot of shit about it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been a total gold rush and it's not over either. Like, this is just you know, another bear market. But this happens, like I've been in the game since like 2017 and this is the second time it's happened. And if you look at it historically, it's like the 10th time it's happened in the history of cryptocurrency. Just big spike down, even bigger spike down. You know, it's it's similar Same to the stock any market. market it's really, just, yeah. yeah, it's just, it happens much more quickly and much more volatile. But yeah, yeah. 
uh, Elon is definitely in the game. <laughs> You're saying you've been in it since 2017. How much did you put in then, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, not a lot. I not mean, lot. I got really, I got really lucky though. And so, like, I put in like a couple grand on this coin called Tron, which is it was just this hilarious shit coin that was like very clearly they stole the technology and what you call the white paper which is sort of the research behind the coin and the technology behind the coin they they plagiarized a white paper from somebody else to start up their coin and then basically had rich investors from uh where the coin originated pump into it and it skyrocketed and i just like i was in it as a total joke and then hundred times my money it was insane and of course i never took any money out so in reality i didn't make anything but at the peak of the spike it was like almost a hundred times what i had put in and then of course it crashes but i held on to it and so like i've been able to move funds around and as i've done more research and learned a lot more about the technology i've moved funds around to places where I think the technology will be successful. And so I have most of my money in Ethereum now, and I've definitely kept putting money in since then. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely profited quite a bit, but that's a, partially because I got in so early, but partially because I've been patient and I'm still being patient. Like there's, there's a long, long way to go here. But what's interesting about the whole crypto sphere is that most people are getting into it thinking just like, I'm gonna make a fuck lot of money. And they're not like actually thinking about the technology and trying to learn about it. And I've, I've, I've tried to learn about it a lot. And it's a beautiful technology. Yeah. It's just very clear to me that even if cryptocurrency itself doesn't catch on, like even if governments don't move to crypto digital currency, which they probably will, but even if they don't, blockchain technology is still inevitably going to be a big part of our lives. There's just, there's just no way around it unless like, the only thing I can think of is like if quantum computing comes out relatively soon. Like if, if quantum computers become commercial in the next 10 years, that could kill cryptocurrency. That could kill blockchain because quantum computers are so fast. They're so powerful that they would basically beat the, the encryption of blockchain because they, they can do so many calculations per second. That's the only thing that I could see destroying blockchain. But even then, there are blockchain companies uh, assuming that that's going to happen, and they're taking steps towards solving it. But in well, the, you in the near term... difficulty in tandem with it? Right. I, yeah. I mean, that's a mathematical problem that I'm not, I'm not super comfortable with. But like, as far as I understand, the way it works now is there's like this thing called a SHA-256 um, encryption, where it's a 256... Uh, byte string of ones and zeros in um, you know different random orders and basically the computer is feeding in it's basically guess and checking it's saying oh is it one followed by 255 zeros program says nope and then it's a, it tries another version another version and if it gets lucky and gets it then it is validating that block but with quantum computing you can do like a billion a billion things per second, a billion attempts per, you know, millisecond or however fast these quantum computers are. It's it's unfathomably fast. And so like it would completely break a SHA-256 encryption. But yeah, like maybe there's ways to make more complicated ones, but I don't really understand the math behind that. That's sort of where my understanding breaks down. But 
what I've heard from experts is that it's it's not quite as simple as just like making the math harder with a SHA-256. Like, it's not like making it a SHA-10,000, you know? Um, I'm not really sure how it works, but... It would be like knocking down like a, an old school or something and having to build a skyscraper in its place. You can't just change right. it. You need to completely... Yeah, and companies are definitely... Degree. Yeah, they're thinking about it. But the the bottom line is no matter what in the near future blockchain is going to be a big part of our lives it's it's just going to happen and so it's really exciting to to watch the technology and of course if you can make money investing in something that you believe in that's great too how did you first come to find out about it then back in 2017 um i had a buddy that was super deep in the game i mean it's kind of how anybody gets into it right it's like word of mouth like you just you you know a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy and eventually it, it makes its way to you and so he was just like yeah you guys should buy this stuff like it's going through the roof and so i was like yeah sure fuck it i'll put a little money in there like i trusted him he was a smart guy and then we all sort of like me and my group of friends that all put money in it we sort of bonded over our like crypto circle and we were always talking about it and learning about it and stuff it, it's it's it was hilarious even if we hadn't made money it was still super funny to watch happen but yeah, just a friend that that knew about it. You still see that now. There's that kind of sense of community within that sphere. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of community, but it's a fucking disgusting community. I mean, it's it's so many scammers and people trying to just you know steal money from other people. There's a lot of pump and dump schemes. There's a lot of plagiarism. And it, frankly, it's just a lot of really young people that this is from my experience. Like I just see a bunch of young people not understanding the technology, not understanding anything about it. And all they're saying is, I'm going to make money. I want to make money. And like, that's fine. Like if you're in it just to make money, like of course everyone's in it to make money. You're investing. It goes against the ethos of what the technology is about though, doesn't it? A little bit. Um, I mean, not necessarily, but it's just, it's just funny seeing so many people talk about crypto like they know a fucking thing about it when they just clearly <laughs> don't like i'll be the first to admit i really don't know a lot and i've researched like many 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 hours on crypto and blockchain and i still feel very novice like if you go listen to vitalik buterin the founder of ethereum talk about blockchain there's so much stuff that flies over my head. Like clearly there's just a very deep world of technology that 99.99% of the population will just never be able to comprehend. Um, but then you have these 12 year olds online, like uh, creating pump and dump schemes and talking about blockchain, like they know anything about it. And so it's, it's sort of a sickening community where it's just like greed and people trying to steal money from other people. But there's surely still sub pockets of the blockchain community that are like literally just thinking about the technology and very smart people who are helping write the technology, right? Like it's a community of people trying to build a product and that's cool to watch. But yeah, there's a lot of vile action happening at the same time. Yeah, hopefully the people that are kind of pushing it are the ones that still have some of the good morals. Yeah, the problem is the people that have the good morals don't care enough to like get on Twitter and like blast about shibu inu coin you know they're they're too busy talking amongst their themselves about how to make the technology better it's the really loud vocal blockchain people that are usually the scammy ones right well shiba like, inu, that's a good example of what you were saying about just copying the kind of white paper right <laughs> that the shiba inu thing was so fucking funny to me because that I have to give credit to those scammers because that was a really, really smart scam. What they did was they created this coin that 
has no real value above any other cryptocurrency like it's it ha- it brings no new technology to the table it's a, it's a copy and paste and there's t- tens of thousands of those like i've even made my own cryptocurrency and it's just a copy and paste like it's not hard to do what's it called uh it's one trade danger coin yes. is the name of it <laughs> but i but i haven't like released it out to the public because um right now it's sort of a concern of like environmental issues because it runs on the ether blockchain ah, and so okay. before i would ever put it out into the world i would want to wait until ethereum 2.0 comes out where they switch to proof of stake where they can basically eliminate the environmental impacts by, by like 99.9 percent. so then that's a whole different conversation um that's gonna happen so, yeah, this year, right uh in the next couple of years it sounds like okay. who, who who knows they haven't have a they don't have a solid release date but yeah i'm waiting to to do anything with that and even if i did it would be a total joke i would never try to make it worth money it would just be a fun inside one trade danger joke but even then i wouldn't want to like make transactions with it until it was ethical but we like coming full circle with the um you did the bitcoin flash drives to start with yes yeah well i made those flash drives right around when i was investing in bitcoin that's why that's why there was that theme right that's why those themes even came up on the album it's because it was like 2017 and i had been put into this world and so a lot of my comedic input was from that world but yeah the shibu inu thing was super clever really fucked up but super clever what they did was they made this shit coin and the way cryptocurrencies and blockchains work is that they are transparent ledgers like they're public ledgers that's part of what makes them so special is that you can see transparently any transaction that happens on that network so including basically the bank accounts of anybody on the network so vitalik buterin has a public wallet that anybody can go look at and it shows how much of any cryptocurrency he owns right like he has all of his ethereum because he founded ethereum it's like he's literally a billionaire right and what these people did is they just sent a ton of shiba inu coin to his public wallet and then went online and were like oh my god everybody look vitalik buterin the founder of ethereum like one of the biggest (laughs) cryptocurrencies in the world bought all of this shiba inu coin he must know that this is really good technology and then they started pushing that narrative and a ton of people jumped on board because they assumed vitalik bought it even though they just sent it to vitalik it was the funniest fucking thing and then of course vitalik figures it out he has to go through this whole process of getting rid of it which he did in a really good way he's he's a, a clearly a really good guy he donated all of it he sold it and donated all of it to charity um and then of course let people know that he did not buy it but it was it was sort of too late at that point enough people had bought it and then of course the people who create the coin just dump all of it and then make millions of dollars it it was it was a great scam it was like a very clever scam um and funny enough shiba inu coin is still like not at zero like a ton of people still own it and somehow are pushing it right because if if enough people still going propagate up. a lie it becomes truth right yeah and so it's definitely it definitely peaked and then crashed but it didn't crash to zero which you would expect after finding out it's a total scam but you know enough people had already bought it so it's it's not going to hit zero at least not for a while but it was it's an incredibly 
clever scam. And you got to give credit to them, at least for that. But it's it's shitty. They they stole a lot of money from a lot of people. It's fascinating. It's like the Wild West, isn't it? It's super Wild West. It's crazy. I feel like we kind of touched... We got on that tangent through Elon Musk, who is one of the the kind of narratives on this new album. We've got we've got Tommy and Tim Schenectady, Elon and Grimes, Lombardi, Kurt Viola. Those are the kind of four narratives? That sounds about right. Yeah. Off the top of my head, that seems like them all. Yeah. Which came first? In terms of which one I came up with first or which one's on the album first? Yeah. What was the narrative yeah, that you started with that kind of began the process? <laughs> well, it, it, like the way I approach these albums is never narrative first. It's always song by song. And then that's sort of Will Will's job is to sort of turn it into a narrative album. And sometimes I feel bad for him because I, I plop this group of songs on his plate and I go, well, okay, make this make this like legible. <laughs> and he's good at doing it. Um, but basically there was just a ton of different ideas floating around. Like we've we've had this inside joke in the band about Elon Musk and Grimes like arguing about like her wanting to go on a rocket and stuff like that. And when we'd be on tour, I would, I would be making these jokes about the two of them in the car. And that was years ago. And so then I decided it'd be cool to make that a reality for one TD. The Kurt thing was sort of, sort of spawned from the fact that I knew that this album would start with chris lombardi sort of threatening the band members lives by saying if you don't (laughs) if you don't make you know platinum tracks i'm gonna kill you and so i knew because of that that i wanted to do like collaborations on the album like chris lombardi sort of forced record label collaborations and so originally it was going to be like a kurt vile collab I wanted a Kurt Vile collab and I actually emailed Kurt Vile's manager because I wanted to make this Kurt song where he doesn't show up, right? And then on the on the next song on the album I wanted it to be him actually showing up, like that was my plan. So it's like Lombardi says do collaborations. I reach out to Kurt he says he's going to come, but he doesn't come. And then on the next song, he just like randomly shows up and we do an actual collab with him. So I email his manager and his manager was like totally into the idea and was like, Oh, well, he's just wrapping up an album right now. He'll, he'll be done in a couple weeks and we can talk. And then I sort of just kept getting strung along on this like chain of emails where his manager was being very positive, but never accepting to like put me in touch with Kurt. And so then eventually I had to just give up. And then it was like, okay, well, we have this Kurt song where he doesn't show up. So let's just like lay into that. And so basically all the dialogue you hear on that song that Ethan is pretending to be uh, Kurt's manager, all that dialogue is literally almost, no, I'm not going to say word for word, but very, very closely based off of the email thread that I had. I've had a lot of encounters through doing this podcast that are similar, and it felt very reminiscent of the way that. That's good. That's speak. good to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like just like overly positive. Like, yeah, Kurt's going to love this, but give us a little more time. And it's like, okay, you reach out. Oh, yeah, he's just busy doing this now. It's like, dude, just give me a straight answer. So of course we laid into that. That's where Kurt came from, and then you know throwing Elon in there 
Elon and Grimes in there is easy because it's like, okay, well, we could just ask her for a collab too. And then that's sort of a segue into the interaction between the two of them. Yeah. And then there's just the, the, the overarching narrative is just the band released a sophomore slump album, gets pressured into making another album and becomes like super famous because they write these hits. And then, of course, there's that Tim Schenectady arc where he's the journalist that sort of slammed them for the last album, but has this sort of like life epiphany where he's got this like he's been bullied his whole life about his name. We get his origin story. Yeah, exactly. Like the villain origin story. But now he's like he's like become a nice guy because he understands like he basically went through therapy and now he's like, oh, I'm never going to give another bad review again, which is why one trade danger gets all these great reviews <laughs> and becomes famous. Right. So that's how it all pieced together. But yeah, I mean, will, will was crucial in coming up with the overarching narrative. Cause I'm just super bad at that stuff. I, I, I just like making the individual songs and like maybe minorly helping with the narrative, but the overarching stuff is, is hard for me. So at what point does that actually kind of fall into place? Is that quite late in the day that it, becomes assembled in such a way um it's I, I would say it's like typically how it goes i have about like 60 or 70 percent of the songs close to done and then we start talking about narrative and then we write the rest of the album based on that narrative just to, to glue everything together was gus ever going to be on it or was it never really in the picture it was definitely talked about and then will was like there's just no way this is fitting into this narrative like how the hell do we fit that, <laughs> fit that in there it makes no sense and so he was struggling with that for a while and then it was like okay well, let's just cut it um because it's a fine standalone track because it's so long anyways it's like three or four songs in one so it's uh totally fine being a standalone it would probably cut the momentum of the other ones too yeah exactly exactly i remember last time you were on and we, we kind of focused on the game for most of that chat and we talked about how coding is a lot of little victories that come throughout the process and it can quite often be tough to get to them where do the moments of satisfaction come when you're making an album compared to a game well i would say the satisfaction in an album is on a song by song basis like when you're working on a song and it gets to a point where you like can listen back to it and laugh or be like, wow, that sounds good. Like that's very rewarding. Um, and then of course, when the whole thing's done, just like the game, you know, when you have a final product and you see people enjoying it, that's really fun. Like watching, watching Timis go viral on TikTok was super funny. Um, Wait, did it go viral validating. on TikTok? It did. Yeah. It was crazy. Like I didn't even really know much about TikTok until it started going viral. And then I got to watch it. It got up to like a hundred thousand videos with Shit. like, you know, millions and millions, like maybe hundred million views across all the the videos. Um, and it's just all these people like trauma dumping to a comedy song that I wrote. And I and it was just really funny to me that people were using the song in that way. It was very satisfying to watch. But yeah. The reward is definitely the final product. They were talking about their experiences that were kind of similar to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Timis, they, they, the sound bite that they took. Because I don't know if you know how TikTok works, but it's sort of like it's like sixty seconds max, right? Yeah, I think they extended the time now, but sort of the the whole shtick of TikTok is that it runs on sounds, and so like when you make a video, you can have a song playing in the background, or you can borrow a sound from another person's video so if someone like says something funny in a video you can make a video but use the audio from their video over the top of it and then like people can borrow that audio and that's sort of how things become really viral it's like it's very audio based and so what happened was someone took a bit from 
the song Timis, where it says, I think this is affecting me mentally, like long-term shit. It's going to fuck with me like that line towards the beginning of the song. And they took that and basically have that playing in the background and then have them sort of sitting there looking upset or whatever, and then have text over the video. That's like something traumatic. Like, you know, sometimes it was comedic, but sometimes it was really not like very, very like personal stuff. Um, and it was, it was typically women talking about, you know, like maybe being cat called or being fat shamed or, um, being abused as a kid, like some like seriously serious stuff, but with my dumbass fucking voice in the background <laughs> singing this comedy song, which to me made it like extra funny. Um, and obviously like most of these videos had a tinge of humor to them, right? Like they knew they were being like, dark humor humorous but it was very strange to see my voice and one trait danger fueling that fire but like any other thing on tiktok it doesn't last long right like it it peaks and then crashes immediately but it was fun to watch it it was a fun little ride um but yeah so that was definitely a rewarding part no doubt about it are you on tiktok now then or you jumped on the tiktok train yeah i mean i had a tiktok before that happened but i wasn't really like posting much and to be honest i still don't really post much but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on there. I've got one. You just all about that cameo, dude. Yeah, cameo is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, they called me last week, or maybe it was even earlier this week. It was recently. They called me recently and and asked me to join, and I joined, and I was kind of overwhelmed by the amount of response that I got from it. A lot of people were asking for videos, probably because I made my price too cheap. <laughs> like, <laughs> I figured no one would buy a video from me for five bucks. I've actually recently upped it to 10 because too many people were asking for them. And like at $5, people were asking for really crazy, dumb shit. Like, you know, let me like take a picture of your toes in like, like weird, weird shit. That's heading in an OnlyFans direction. Yeah, exactly. People were, people were trying to turn it into some weird shit. So I had to up my price, but it's only 10 bucks and it's still, I think 10 is still relatively cheap compared to most people on there, but I'm also not famous. So that makes sense. But yeah, cameo is hilarious. I, I think they're really fun. I think it's a, I think it's a good excuse to like interact with fans. I think it's a good excuse to reach out to people. And I think people truly do enjoy the videos and I, I do have fun making them cause I like making content and it's fun being prompted, you know, to do something and then I get to put my own spin on it. But yeah, it's, it's been fun so far. What's the most interesting request you've had on it? I mean, the best ones are the ones where they're just a little bit vague. Like I, I like the roasts cause I get to be like sort of the one trait danger character. That's kind of a dick. And like, I I like the roasts where they just say a bunch of facts about a person and say just like rip them apart for this like that's funny. The the most interesting and strange ones are like the the ones that I don't like to film and, the, and frankly I don't do them. When when people ask really weird shit, I just completely ignore it and film something else. So like one of somebody said like I want you to look at the camera and say like put balls in my mouth. Like <laughs> I'm not going to fucking say that. <laughs> so I just say yeah, exactly. Because people post these on the internet and shit. Like, I'm not going to say that. And, you know, one of them was like, yeah, I want you to film one minute of you with footwear on, one minute of you with socks on, and one minute of you with just your feet. Like, they had a foot fetish or something like that. And I was just like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. But I also don't, I don't ever deny, because you can like deny videos, but I don't ever do that. I just film a video. It's just not what they wanted. Like, if you're going to ask me for some dumb shit, I'm going to give you some dumb shit in exchange. But yeah, nothing too too crazy but definitely some weird shit 
Can you see who's requesting it, or is it anonymous? Well, they can. They just write like their name, but they could write anything. So you know, I just have, all I have is the only information I get is who it's to, who it's from, and what they want me to do. That sounds a bit sketchy. Yeah, I don't care who I'm sending it to. <laughs> I, as long as it's not like crazy shit, I'll I'll film it and send it to whoever. I don't care. You need to figure out a way to get Lombardi into one of them somehow. <laughs> I would love to. And I'm sure he would be in one if I if I see him anytime soon. But yeah, I'm also I'm honestly excited to do cameo on the road because it'll be really fun to get the other bandmates involved and stuff, do videos as a group. And frankly, I'm excited to get on the road for Instagram videos too. It's it's a lot of fun to film them with those guys. When was the last time you were on the road? Must be a while now. God, so long ago. Like the end of 2019. Well, was that when the last One Trait Danger album came about? Because it was kind of based off of what was going on on that tour, right? I guess the 1TD, the 1TD album came out a little bit before we stopped touring. Because I think we played our last show in like Mexico City late late in the year and i think the new album came out like march of that year so it was a little after that but yeah i mean it's been a long time like we've got a tour planned i'm not sure if i'm supposed to say this but we have a tour that just hasn't been announced yet but it's planned for next the early next summer and so if we by then it'll have been like two whole years of no touring which is crazy how long after that did you then start making the game like how long did it kind of take you to adapt and get into the mindset of we're going to be in this for a while. I'm going to try and do something and be productive. Um, I probably started making the game like April. So probably about a month after lockdown happened. And then when does the album come into the picture? Were you making them concurrently or did you wrap up the game before you? Well, I had sort of been working on the album before the game and I had a bunch of pieces of it. And then I started working on the game almost exclusively with like, you know, every three weeks or so taking a break to work a night on the music. So very little. Um, and then after the game came out, it was like full force. Let's finish the album. How much did it change in that kind of final sprint? Not a lot. It was more just like we just made more. Because I would say about half, maybe 60% of the album was was at least close to done before that final sprint. And then it was like Will and I got together for some sessions. And we did some FaceTime sessions where we were sort of writing together. And I would play the beats that I had and we would brainstorm. And then some sessions where he would come over and we would actually work on the songs together. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot of creation in that final sprint. And there's actually... Uh, to, I, I sent out this notebook that I had. I had all the notes from Lombardi's World and all my notes from the album in that I sent out to someone who... I, I told people online, like whoever beats Lombardi's World first will get this notebook. And so I, I stayed true to my word and I mailed this book to this kid. It has all the notes from the game and the album, including Will's notes in there too. Holy scripture. Yeah, it, it was a cool notebook. Uh, and I was happy to give it out because like, you know, someone could have fun reading through that. And they said they were going to like photocopy it and put it online, but I haven't heard anything about it. So maybe they're just keeping it to themselves, which is totally fair. You know, they, they want it. What does that notebook look like? Like, What's the kind of... Is it sketches? Is it all just writing? What's going on in there? It's a ton of shit. I mean, it's... If you, if you, if you open it from, you know, reading left to right, like a normal book, that's all the video game notes, all the acknowledgements, all my, like, to-do list notes. There's, like, a lot of things that are crossed out and scribbled out, a lot of drawings from ideas, a lot of random notes in there. And that's, like like 50 pages of that. And then if you flip the book over and open it from the other way, it's all the music stuff going the opposite direction. 
and that's you know pages and pages of of music notes and lyrics and bpms and you know different different ideas written down yeah it's it's an interesting thing to look through um i hope i hope they do post it online at some point are you sentimental about stuff like that at all? Or are you pretty happy to give it away? I'm not. I'm not a super sentimental guy. No. Um. I would be interested to look at it again though, because I f- I totally forgot about it. And frankly, most of the video game notes won't make sense to anybody but me. So yeah, I would. I would like to see it again someday. But again, you know, th- it's up to them. I was reading an interview with Chuck Palahniuk. You know, the Fight Club author. Oh yeah, nice. And he was saying that at the end of every year, any notebooks he has, you know, with ideas in them, if they're not finished, he just burns them. Chuck's in the furnace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very not sentimental. That sounds like someone who would write Fight Club for sure. <laughs> would you ever do that with demos or anything, or would you keep a hold of everything? I mean, there's definitely hard drives that get lost to the world with stuff on them, but they're not very important. Like, yeah, it would be cool to be able to go look through all your old shit, but you know, computers die and things like that. So anything that I really want, I I back up. But yeah. I'm not super sentimental, no. Though, though, anytime I do go look through old stuff, I'm always happy to hear it. You know, it's just I'm too lazy to make the effort. That's the thing. I mean, how safe are hard drives? Like, as a form of keeping stuff? Oh, they're not safe at all. Yeah, they, that's they what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. You got to back your stuff up constantly, and I, I back up to the cloud now too. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a risk. It's I've heard of plenty of artists that had fifty unfinished songs on a hard drive that dies and it's just completely lost you know i think tom york did that he got i think did tom not get mugged or something i heard something about that yeah like his phone off him yeah and it had all the kind of voice memos and whatever recorded into yeah and i heard about it most recently with this edm artist named g jones he had a, a whole hard drive that just it just gone yeah just like so many nearly finished demos just completely gone there could also be a healthy pressure that comes from that though You've kind of got to knuckle down and think I've got to write stuff that's just as good as that. I mean, maybe, maybe, but damn, you're losing thousands of hours of work. That's crazy. You got to cognitively try and reframe it so that it's not a complete sucker punch. Yeah, yeah. You you have to tell yourself that or you go crazy. But in reality, like G. Jones got fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it can. It comes back to a little bit like what we were saying earlier on. You know, what you said about those thousands of hours. You were saying that you know to understand something like Bitcoin or crypto, it takes you know, 1% are going to understand it. It takes a lot of time to try and unpack that. What's the kind of workflow like for an album compared to the last video game you did? Because I remember the album was like, what were you doing, like 12-hour days or something? Yeah, easily, yeah. I mean, writing music is not... It's Yeah, you can't quite do that like you do with the game, or at least I can't. Because with a game, there's so much tedium that it's like, okay, if I don't feel creatively juiced right now, I can at least work on like 15 other things that are just monotonous in the game that still need to get done with music. It's not really like that. There's not a whole bunch of tedium. So if you're not feeling creatively juiced sitting there for an extra five hours, isn't going to produce anything meaningful. And and in fact, it typically hinders songs. You want to, you want to come at it with that juice. You want to be in the zone and it's about finding ways to get yourself in the zone. So it's less about hours put in and more about, how to get yourself in the zone and and like seizing those opportunities when you are in the zone and getting those ideas out of your head quickly but having said that if you have 50 demos that are unfinished that's thousands of hours like that's so many songs assuming assuming they're not just like eight bar loops right i would assume that they were like fairly fleshed out tracks that just needed to be polished um that's a lot of time 
and that's a lot of creative juices down the drain. How do you balance that? Because for something like this record, it feels so immediate and it feels very kind of... You can tell that a lot of work has been put into it, but because of the comedic aspect, it also feels like it doesn't care. How do you not overcook it so that it can still feel... <laughs> so that it can still yeah, work I, as this kind of comedic thing, if you know what I mean. Totally. I mean, I think that just comes from a lot of ad-libbing. Like, you have an idea in your head, but it's about just pressing play and putting your mouth up to a microphone and just saying the first thing that comes out of your of your mouth. And that's like quintessential 1TD. So much of that material is just completely ad-libbed. And that's how you keep it fresh and spicy. And that can the ad-libbing can spur even more ideas. But yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think this album compared to the other two is definitely more processed and pushed as opposed to like One Trade High, which was just like total bullshit while we were on the road. And there's there's aspects of that that are good, right? Like the total bullshit on the road is nice because it feels very not pushed real and completely ad-libbed and crazy but with that comes lower production quality and lower like cohesiveness like one trait high is not a cohesive album um but it is really funny and one trait bangers is very cohesive or more cohesive but it definitely was a lot more of like pushed comedy which isn't necessarily bad but i think i function best in completely ad-lib situations so i had to try really hard to even though we're not on the road dicking around with each other to to try to get myself in mind frames where i could just ad-lib and dick around because it's hard to do when you don't have like outside input like when you're sitting in a covid room you know will and i definitely bounce stuff off each other over facetime and stuff and and definitely some in person once he started coming over like the rocket ship dialogue is a great example of that we were just fucking around in my room and like that started off with a like a framework of dialogue but then i just went off the rails with it and i think that's what made it extra funny but it's hard to do that alone like i i definitely need other people around me to do that um so that's why doing it on tour is nice for that uh but i think we still pulled it off like i think will and i found a happy medium of facetime and in-person stuff do you think you learned anything from that that you would carry in if you were working on tour again? I don't know. Part of me wants to just totally abandon it and just like make crazy bullshit again. <laughs> even like, and that's funny saying because like this album is crazy bullshit for sure. It's probably but I'm the most absurd even, album that you've done. Yeah, but like even crazier bullshit. Like you know, just no no thought to it. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I think. I think the best thing to do is like just be on tour and when we get an idea or like a comedic thing, just like record it really quickly and then take it and produce it really well. Cause like one trait high was produced on the road too, just like with headphones and like, it just doesn't sound as good. Um, and I think, I think if we took those ad lib ideas from the road and brought them back and fleshed them out fully and made them into like really well done songs, like that's, that's my ideal. I think. Do you feel like you can't make another one TD album until you're back out on the road? I feel like we shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely always making beats and it's good to have, it's definitely good to have beats just to like, to play and get ideas off of, right? Like if you come up with a funny line and you're like, oh, that might work over that song. Like it's definitely good to have a, a catalog of shit that you can go back and look at. So I'm always definitely like making music. But to actually think about it as one trait danger, I don't, yeah, I don't want to do it until we're on the road again. You would probably also go into decline creatively if you weren't constantly exercising that muscle and keeping it fresh. Yes. I mean, totally, totally. Yeah. You got to keep, you got to keep making something. Like I would just forget how to make music, you know, if I stopped making music, but the, the, 
comedy stuff, I think, just has to come naturally, and it comes naturally when we're on tour. That's kind. Of, I mean, being comedic's innate, isn't it? You kind of just have that. You you do, but you also have to get outside like input. Like you can't be comedic in a vacuum. Like you you can't sit in a room with a chair and four white walls and come up with good comedy. Good comedy comes from outside input, from things that people say, things that you see. Like that's all one TD is, right? Like Pitchfork, Elon Musk, Kurt Vile. Like this is all outside input that I'm absorbing, we're absorbing, and then turning into comedy, right? Like you can't just you can't make that stuff out of thin air. And so when you're on tour. There's so much external input. You're seeing so much stuff every day. It's it's very easy to be comedic. I mean, comedy is at its best when it's relevant to the time in which it was created. That's why when you look at like even the time before yeah. the album before this one, you know, when you're on tour, that's a perfect kind of funny look at what touring was for a band pre-COVID. Yep, exactly. When you were doing that uh, that rocket ship intro, did you have the kind of vocoder effect on as you were going through it? <laughs> we we did we did yeah and it was sort of the way we did it was we will wrote out the script on his ipad and we had him record his lines first and he stuck pretty much to the script and then i just sort of pressed play and recorded and listened to his what he had recorded and sort of just responded to what he said with whatever came to my mind first like we had a script that was somewhat structured for what i was supposed to say but i eventually just completely ditched it and was just going off of what he said and i i think it made it much more funny i like the idea of you being method in the studio being in character as grimes the whole time yeah yeah and of course will's standing right there and we're both just laughing like you can even hear at one point you can hear the two of us laughing in the background up, yeah but it's being fed through a vocoder <laughs> so it sounds extra weird <laughs> Oh, what about the, uh, I think my favorite joke in the album is the Kevy's eating tuna in Melbourne. Was that an ad-lib? The Kevy's eating tuna in Melbourne. That was actually not an ad-lib. That was one that we came up with because we knew, we knew we wanted it to be Kevin Parker. I liked the idea of him calling him Kevy, right? Because he's calling everyone something with a Y at the end because he's got this issue, this like complex. I don't know why I, I wanted it to be tuna, but... For some reason, that sounded really funny to me. I don't know what it is about. There's something about fish. <laughs> yeah. Kevy's eating tuna in Melbourne. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Have we got a response from Pitchfork on this so far? Oh, of course not. They'll, they'll never, they will never openly acknowledge any of this stuff. It would be only to their detriment to even, to even humor this stuff. I wish they would, because then I could go off. But Just you wait till the next review. I mean... If if Pitchfork reviewed a One Trade Danger album, it would be the best day of my life. I would find that so funny. <laughs> and I would I would really hope that they would buy into the joke and be extra mean. Like I would hope they would give it like a one out of ten. <laughs> and then that would just fuel my fire even further. I saw a nine out of one hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they had done nine out of hundred, that would have been great. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean the whole the whole Tim Schenectady arc is because they called me Andy. I wanted I knew I wanted Tim Schenectady to, to be like the journalist that calls everyone by the wrong name because they called me Andy Katz in that fucking article. And I knew I had to, to get back at them. And funny enough, I'm looking at the meeting topic right now and it says Vintage Society by <laughs> Andy Katz. And I know you did that shit on purpose. But they, they called me Andy when... The, like 
there's nowhere else on the internet that my name is written as Andy. Like they wrote Andy to take a dig at me because I'm assuming they knew about how much shit I've been talking about Pitchfork. And so I was like, okay, I gotta, I can't roll over on this. I gotta get back at them. So I made that whole arc idea with the Andy thing in mind. And that's why he calls Timis Timmy and um Kevy Kevy and whatever the other employee's name is, Stevie. <laughs> I'm definitely dropping this episode as Andy Katz returns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. I had that coming. <laughs> do you think they've got a sense of humor about themselves? Because it, it sounds like they're being a little bit cheeky with the Andy thing. They're not doing it like it's a serious dig, are they? I don't think they were doing it as a serious dig, no. All, part of me almost hopes Part of me almost hopes that they didn't mean to at all and they're just that dumb. That would just play <laughs> so perfectly into how I think of them. But, I mean, they must have. I mean, you, someone that works there has to have a sense of humor. You know, somebody does. And they've surely listened to 1TD. They've written about it indirectly through the Madlow article. Like, they, they know it exists. What did they say in the Madlow article about it? They didn't say anything directly about it. They just mentioned that it's like the comedy side project, you know, because Will is donning the new trait persona in public. And so it was inevitable they were going to talk about one trait danger because of that. But they just briefly touch on it. But they surely are aware that it exists. So is that the same character when it's used in Headrest or is that a separate thing? Because it is the same design, but is, it, is there a well, crossover there? It's definitely still the trait character. He's definitely donning the trait persona, but it's obviously trait singing car seat material, right? Not comedy material. So it's not... Trait isn't being used as a comedic prop in car seat. It's, it's just a trait character, but singing car seat material did you ever do anything comedic before this did you ever do like sketches or anything in college i mean i've always been doing random comedy stuff like right after i graduated college i got really into vine and unfortunately vine went out of business or got eaten by twitter and they deleted all of our videos but those i thought those were hilarious um had a bunch of vine videos vine was tiktok though basically wasn't it it was it was like yeah the baby stages of what tiktok would become Let's see, in college, my roommate and I had a fake funny band named Shit Factory, and we put out an album called Road to Yak Town. That was a complete shit comedy album. I have Skinny Teeth, which is an old side project that has comedy albums on it. Um, like a song Chili Love is a, is a popular one off that. Let's see. And then as a kid, was surely making comedy songs too. Um, I've, I've always been like kind of kind of dancing around the idea but one trait danger is definitely the most fleshed out serious version of that you're a big norm mcdonald guy aren't you i love norm mcdonald i think he's hilarious is that the kind of thing that appeals to you that idea of playing a character but also not playing a character but not directly referencing it well what do you mean what does that have to do with norm mcdonald well norm mcdonald's kind of taking the piss when he's in those sayings like he's playing an exaggerated version of himself yeah okay i see what you're saying like totally. if you, if you yeah. watch norm mcdonald was on when he's on the norm mcdonald show and then you watch Norm Macdonald when he's on Larry King. Yes, yes, you know I, I mean? know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great, yeah, it's a great example of laying into your character, for sure. And I mean, I lay into the One Trait Danger character, for sure. I mean, the, the Andrew Katz from One Trait Danger, like the more Stony Baloney-esque vibes, where you're just like talking mad shit and being kind of a dick and making fun of nerds and stuff like that. Like that is definitely a character that I've laid into. And I think it's hilarious to do. I do that on my cameos all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of inspiration like that out there in the world. Norm Macdonald is a, is a great example of that. I feel like now we've done the one TD album. We've done the one TD game. And there's a few references on this album to Vonnegut. And there's a wee picture of Dorian Gray reference as well. 
Is there a one TD book? Is that going to be the next kind of evolution? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, as you saw, that the Kurt Vonnegut references are making fun of him for writing books, <laughs> calling him an old man. Yeah, old. He just writes books <laughs> and shit. <laughs> yeah, no, one TD. We're not. We're not readers. That's a real way to kind of diminish a man's entire career. He just writes <laughs> books and shit. I didn't even know he was dead until Will told me. He died <laughs> ages like, ago, didn't he? Yeah, probably. I don't know anything about Kurt Vonnegut. I just know he wrote like some books. That's all I know about him. And so I'm like saying these Kurt Vonnegut lines, and Will's like, "The guy's fucking dead, dude." And I'm like, "Ah, damn it!" <laughs> but, it's like kicking a man while he's down. Yeah, but I think you know. If I was dead and someone made that line about me, I'd think it's funny. So I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> How did you know that name then? Where's that coming from? Where are you pulling that from? I don't know. That's a, it's a, such a popular author name. You hear that thrown around all the time. Like someone has a Kurt Vonnegut quote tattoo or like you know, Kurt Vonnegut's just always a name that you've heard. And I, all I knew about him was that he wrote some famous books. That's, that's essentially it. Like I, I'm not a fucking reader. I don't know anything about authors or anything like that. So I just knew he was a famous author, but also like that sort of was just another example of complete ad libbing. I literally got on the mic and said, hi, my name is Donovan. I'm the PR rep for, and I was like, Oh, what rhymes with Donovan? And I was like, Kurt Vonnegut. Like that just <laughs> came into my head in that moment. That was not something I wrote down on a piece of paper. And so then the other Kurt Vonnegut references came after that. Like the one in Shut the Fuck Up. Will, because I guess he wrote a book called like Slaughterhouse or something. Is that Slaughterhouse right? Slaughterhouse Five, yeah. Yeah. So Will was like, oh yeah, let's let's put Slaughterhouse in here because you referenced Vonnegut. See, like that's what Will's good at. He's good at piecing my insanity together into something cohesive and glued together, right? Just picking out the through lines, seeing the little details and kind of exactly which which he's great at like if you listen to any of his music like uh, he's super good at that he's very good at the full circle stuff and i'm not so it's good to have him on the team because i'm very good at ad-libbing and he's very good at putting the pieces together so it's it's a great duo in that way and so yeah that was a completely ad-lib line and then he was like okay well this is where we can put it in to make sense of that line because otherwise that came out of nowhere <laughs> you know <laughs> Does that change the way you think about your own music when someone comes in and does that and kind of just picks out those connections that you might not have otherwise made? No, no, I don't think I'm not a deep thinker on that kind of stuff. I, I, the way I listen to music is line by line, like especially comedy music. Like, was that funny or not? I'm not the kind of person that would ever notice stuff like that, but plenty of people do. And so it's good to have someone that, that can do that. Because um, I'm just not really capable of doing that. I, I can't think that deeply about it. That also probably comes back to what we were saying about it feeling very immediate, though. If you're just focusing on a very present moment, line by line level, it's going to carry that throughout. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's what I like about ad libbing so much. And, and you also have a, a really great energy when you ad lib, too. It's, it's just something that I can't really achieve reading off of a piece of paper. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.